Well, good morning, Village Church. <clears throat> I, uh, I'm fighting a little cold today, so if I gave you an elbow or a fist today, uh, that's why I, I want to keep this all to myself. I don't want to share it with anybody, so hopefully I won't get anybody sick today. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East. It's my privilege to be able to share God's Word with you this morning and uh, see all your lovely faces here today. And uh, I'm excited to be able to continue our series that we've been working on um, called Vision, uh, Values That Define Our Vision. Uh, we are, let me, let me give you a little rundown on this if you're just catching up with us so that you know where we're at. This is a four-week series that we've been working on um, together, and this is the second Sunday that we're into it. Every local church, every healthy local church has similar values when it comes to the gospel. Each church, if it is approved by God, is a church that will hold to the values of the gospel story and at its core have a similar DNA. The gospel is first and foremost to what that church does. Now the gospel is Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. That is the gospel. Literally gospel means good news. It's, a, it's an ancient word that literally means in our language today, good news. And the good news means that Jesus came, he was born, he lived his life, he died, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. The good news is that he was the only perfect person that could do that, fully God, fully man. We just got through Christmas. So God with us, Emmanuel. And so when he shed his blood for our sins, he was the only candidate that could do, a, do that and forgive us for our sins. So the good news is Jesus offers forgiveness even today through the blood that he shed on that cross. Every local church, every church around the world that God would approve of holds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, each local church is unique in how they live out the gospel. This is a simple way to test the metal of a church, actually, in the culture in which you live. If the gospel is paramount in that church, how they live out the gospel is a good way of telling how healthy uh, or how God approved that church is. The way the gospel-centered churches live out the gospel they teach defines their values. We went over all this last week, and so if you want to catch up with us, you're more than welcome to jump online. We put everything on the, online, so just look us up on vceast.org, and you will find uh, all of these messages on there. But the, five, uh, the six things that we have as our values for Village Church East is we are a team-building church, we are a digital church, we are a family church, we are a servant leadership church, we are a what-if church, and we are a so-what church. And all of those things are defined online. Um, and what I've done for this series is I've broken these down into four simple uh, messages, all out of the same story in the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is one story out of there. Uh, so this is, this is where we're going. Uh, we, we talked about last week, everyone has a space here. Today we're going to be talking about everyone has family here. Next week we'll talk about how we can find hope here, values that give hope. And then the week after that, everyone will know that we're here, how we define the gospel in today's culture. <laughs> I'm going to try not to cough into this mic, because I know that that's extremely irritating to everybody who listens to me. So um, let's pray for a second, and, uh, and I'll ask the Lord to give me some strength here today, all right? So Father, we give the day to you. We ask that you would be pleased with us. We recognize that we are not a perfect church. Uh, but we strive to be a healthy church. And so, Lord, as we uh, 
seek how to, on a regular basis, put the gospel at the center of everything we do. I pray that that would be um, the paramount uh, concern for our church and that people will know us by the love that we share inside and outside this church. So be with, it, be with us this morning, especially as we look into this passage. Encourage hearts that are broken. Help those who are weary. Encourage those who, um, who just need a boost. Um, bless those who feel forgotten. Lift up those who feel neglected. I pray, Father, that you would um, convict those that need a reminder of, what, uh, of who they can be because of the gospel, because of what you have done for them. So we give the whole morning to you. Thank you for the songs that we've sung already, which are awesome. And I pray, Father, as we look into your word, that you would clear our minds and our hearts so that you could speak to us clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 17. We've, t- we've uh, started this story already. Oh, whoever brought this up, God bless you. We started this story already. Each Sunday, we're actually going to look at the same story but through a different lens. This actually is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. And if you haven't gathered that by, by now, you probably will after these four weeks. Luke 5, 17. And one, <clears throat> on one of those days, as he, Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him, that's Jesus Christ, was with him to heal. Jesus is popular. At this point, people are trying to figure him out. Some people had heard, remember, there's no Instagram, there's no Facebook, there's no internet. So nobody quite heard who Jesus is. The, the idea of Jesus has grown. People are hearing all kinds of strange things about this person who can heal and do miracles. So wherever he goes, people are traveling long distances. In this case, it's not anything different. They are traveling from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. They're coming from all around to this one house where they hear that Jesus is at. And when they get there, obviously, there's no way to get in because it's so full. There's not only people inside the house, but there's people around the house, and they cannot get through. Nobody can get through uh, because there's so many people there. Not only are people trying to figure out who he is, he has enemies who don't want to lose their power. This sounds a lot like politics, and it kind of is, but there's some religious leaders in Jesus' day who like being in control. And they are in control of the people There's four major parts of the religious leaders. There's the Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots, and the Pharisees. The most popular that we talk about are the Pharisees. Pharisees were lay people who were in charge of figuring out how to attach Old Testament law to New Testament activity. So if you read something in the Old Testament, they were there to say, okay, here's how you live it out. In other words, they were there to try and help us, help people figure out how to translate what they read in God's word to living it out in modern day culture. Now, this is not modern day culture like we're in, but modern day culture that they're in. So the Pharisees were the ones that you would ask questions to. Okay, Moses' law says this. How do I live that out today? Not only were they there to do that, they were there to make you feel really, really bad if you didn't. So if you weren't living up to their translation of the Old Testament law, you would fail. Now you need to know that these guys took their job really seriously. The Ten Commandments, for instance, they whittled down so that you could easily understand them in over 700 separate commands. They were not in the business of making life easy, they were in the business of making life difficult. They wanted to make sure that if you followed these 10 commands, there's 700 things that you need to do in order to follow them out completely. They loved their job, verse 18. 
And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst of Jesus. Now last week we looked at the paralytic. This guy was needy, he was unable to move, he couldn't add anything to society, couldn't add anything, couldn't offer anything to his town. He was helpless. He was dependent on others for literally everything. If he needed to eat, you lost your meal. Get it? He, he had nothing that he could add to society. He was completely needy. Somebody had to give up time so that he could be taken care of, but Jesus sees this man as valuable. And this is what we talked about last week. Everybody has a space here. It's what we're, where we landed. And Jesus made space for this paralytic, this needy individual. And so our church wants to be the same kind of church. We want to make sure that everybody knows they have a space here. It doesn't matter what they can add or how much they have or what their background is. Everybody has a space here. And this paralytic was important to Jesus because he was made in the image of God and everybody is important to us. That's one of the high values of Village Church East. Every human life is valuable. Nobody is a non-person. Everybody has value. Our church sees people as valuable no matter how much they can or cannot contribute, how damaged they may feel deep down inside, no matter if they need somebody to lean on for a while, we want to be that person for them. We want to take the journey with them. This is how we live out the gospel at Village Church. But this week, I want to look at the friends. Because it's interesting to me that Jesus looked at this paralytic, but the first thing he did after he saw the paralytic lowered down was he looked right at the friends, right up to them. Here's how it goes, verse 20. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Whose faith did Jesus see, church? The friend's faith. He didn't see the faith of the paralytic. He saw the faith of the friends. He saw their faith in the way that they risked everything. They risked their options so that this man, this friend they had could be lowered in front of Jesus. Now, I want to paint this picture for you because it's pretty cool. These guys have carried this individual. Now, likely he lived close by because it's a long way to carry a mat with a human being on it. Have you ever tried to carry a human being around? So these human beings are carrying another human being. So likely he lived nearby. But even if he did, they still had to go to his house. Now get this, because we're not, we're, we're not, we don't get to decipher all of this in Scripture. So we, we look at it and we have to see what these guys risked. They went over to this guy's house. <laughs> and they said, okay, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick you up. We're going to take you over to Jesus. We know that you can't do anything about this, so we're asking you to trust us. We're going to take you to Jesus, and we want you to see this guy because we've heard that he can heal. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to get you healed because you mean that much to us. The paralytic, we're not told what he said or even if he could talk at all. All we're told is that these guys picked him up and they start the journey. Now, I don't know how long they walked. Either way, it's a long time to drag around a body. When they get to the house, the house is somewhere beyond all they see is people scattered all around the house. They can't get through. They cannot get through the crowd, especially with a stretcher. Have you ever tried to get through Disney World with a wheelchair? I have. It's a difficult, if it's a difficult adventure. 
These guys had to carry a mat with a person through it and nobody would let them through. Why? Because they're all Christians. They're not going to make way for it. No, I'm just kidding. They're just, they're, just, they're, they're just not moving. They're not you know, trying to get through with a mat. Forget you. I'm not missing my opportunity to get to see Jesus. And so there's so many people around the house, they cannot get this mat through to see Jesus. So they decide they're going to take a risk. They're going to think outside of the box. And they decide to crawl up to the roof because this was too important of a gathering. Nobody important was going to make room for this unimportant person. And so they think outside the box and crawl up to the roof and they dig a hole in the roof. Now let me explain to you exactly what they had to do to dig a hole in the roof. In this day, beams were laid from wall to wall. On the beams was a mat of reeds, usually thorn bushes, something a little more solid. Over the mat was clay and earth. Sand and pebbles were put over this, and then a stone roller was used to smooth it out so that it would stop rain. It was rolled over and over over many days for smoothness, especially after the first rain, then they would roll it over again, and it would almost turn to cement. If rain was coming in, they would add another layer of grass and more mud, and then they would put tiles on top of that for coolness and better drainage. It wasn't, th this would be uh, uh, not terribly hard to get off, but you'd, you'd need a shovel to get through it. This is not just a matter of tearing off tiles. This is a matter of, of some hard work to get through this. And then you had to dig underneath the tile. Then you had to dig up all this muck and this goop under there that would keep the rain off. And what it would do is it would leave a big gaping hole in the ceiling. Now keep in mind, it would have to be so big to get a mat with a human being on it through. This was a big, this was a big deal. They decide, however, that they are going to take the risk. They don't just, now, now get this. What I love about this story is these guys don't, don't just feel sorry for this individual. I mean, it's one thing to feel sorry for somebody, right? I'm really sad that you're paralyzed. I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll bring you food once in a while. I'll send your card once in a while. I'll sit with you and I'll sing to you, whatever. I mean, that's one level of friendship. Or another level of friendship is, hey, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to actually be with you through birthdays and special occasions, and I'm never going to forget you, and I'm going to uh, send you cards all the time, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going, to, I'm going to bring you a present once in a while on your birthday, I'm going to shoot you regular Instagrams, I'm going to put a screen up on the wall so you can see what's happening, life around you. I mean, that's another level of friendship. But these guys were compelled with the need of their friend to the point where they were willing to risk everything more than just giving good wishes to their friend. It's one thing to offer accolades of good wishes, but it's another thing to risk your reputation because that's what these guys did. These guys, these friends, climbed up to the roof and committed vandalism so that they could get their friend in front of Jesus. Now, my one question is this, what if it didn't work? What if Jesus wasn't able to heal them? Do you realize these guys would be, their name would be mud for the rest of eternity. In the village, they would be known as the vandals that screwed up Jimmy's house down the block. They would be known as the guys that, you know, had these dreams that God could, Jesus could do this, this great work, but he didn't pull it off. And so these guys' reputations would be forever marred and broken in the village. 
Now, the other part of this is they could have got there with, the, with, the, with their friend on the pallet. Let's call him Sam. They could have got there with Sam, and they could have got there, and they could have said, Sam, listen, buddy, we, we carried you all the way from your house. Seriously, we carried you all the way here, but here, let me lean you up a little bit. See all these people over here? We can't get through there. So we really tried to get you through, and dude, I'm sorry, but you know, it's, it's all, that's all we could do. Let's head home. But they weren't willing to take no for an answer. Do you get the idea that these guys are a little more than friends? These guys look at this paralytic individual as if they are their own flesh and blood. This was a love that put everything on the line. It took a risk. This was a love that might not get anything back. This is a love that, and that lowers this guy through the, through the roof and hopes to God that something miraculous is going to happen or he's getting dragged all the way home and our names are going to be mud for the rest of our lives. Their devotion to their friend was deeper than what we see on the surface. That is why when this man was lowered in front of Jesus, Jesus looks down at the man and then up at, them, at his friends. And he looks up at them and he says, and the Bible says, when he saw whose faith, church? When he saw their faith. How did he see their faith? When you come to know the Lord, does God give you an, a faith ID card? <laughs> faith ID. How does he see their faith? He saw their faith in how they demonstrated love for their friend and belief that Jesus could change his future. <coughs> belief in Jesus Christ. It's also amazing to me that Jesus doesn't look up at the friends and say, hey, you guys are awesome. Yeah, join my crew. I got 12 losers here. You could teach them something. <laughs> he doesn't look up there and commend them. He looks down at the paralytic and he looks up at them. And, when it's, and the Bible says, when he saw their faith, he forgave their friend's sin. Jesus gave these friends what they deeply wanted, his attention not toward them, but toward their friend. That's love. When we, when we come to Jesus Christ, we have to understand he, he, has, a, he, has, he has a passion and a love that, that we, we can't fully gather, but there's a, there's a bit of it that we understand in this life. And when you see four friends risk everything for the sake of this one individual and Jesus Look at them and forgive his sins, the sins of the paralytic. You begin to understand a little bit more of Jesus' love. They don't want the accolades. They want their friend to be made whole. And instead of making him whole, Jesus gives them more than they desire. Jesus forgives his sins because he saw their faith. Do you know what that tells me, church? They believe Jesus could heal their friend. Why? Because they believed Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. Their faith was in Jesus. Their friend might not have had any faith, but their faith affected his faith. And when Jesus healed him, or when Jesus forgave him, they knew they would be with him for all eternity. And there's no paralytics in heaven. These friends were too committed to the welfare of one individual, this one individual, to go home without seeing a change, and they were willing to risk it all. Jesus gives them the greatest gift first, a guaranteed place in heaven with God, with his friends, 
who already had faith in Jesus Christ. Now that makes this a pretty amazing story. Let me finish it up and then I want to I want to hit just one so what for you today. Verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees began to question. Here we go. Everybody, every party needs a pooper. The scribes and the Pharisees begin to question, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they were right, absolutely right. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? Obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you don't have to prove that's true, right? Your sins are forgiven. Okay, I'm good to go. But it's different to get some guy that's paralyzed to stand up and walk and take his bed home. That's that's the harder thing because that, that you see. But in reality, it's more difficult to forgive sins. So that's why Jesus says in verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Here's the easy part. He says to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. Jesus' gift to these friends was to give them a friend for all eternity. Listen, I don't know about you, but I pray a lot of prayers in my life. But if I were to rank them as the most important prayers that I pray in my life, the most important prayers would be that my family comes to know the Lord as their Savior. I want them to give their lives to Jesus Christ because that's more important to me than anything else. Then I get to be with them for eternity. The greatest answer to any of my prayers is that God would give my family and my friends a place in eternity with me. So here's a question I want to ask you. Last week we asked, where would this paralytic be if Jesus had not made space for him? Jesus' love extends to all people. Jesus makes space for every person. There's no exceptions to that. There's none. Today's question is this. Where would the paralytic be without these four friends? Where would he be, church? He'd be, he'd be paralyzed at home. He wouldn't know any difference. If nobody had knocked on his door that day and taken the risk to take him to Jesus, he wouldn't know any difference at all. They would have maintained their reputation in the village. Life would have went on as normal. They would have been known as the guys that didn't wreck San, uh, uh, Jimmy's house down the block. <laughs> and this paralytic would have gone to eternity wearing his sins around his neck. But he had great friends. He had friends that treated him like family. And it was their faith that changed his life. In Scripture, the church is defined, the church is regularly called a family of God or a household of God. The word church, literally in the Greek, is ekklesia. It means assembly or meeting place. When I lived in Madison, there was a church, an older church that burned to the ground and the title on the page on the, on the newspaper was Church Burned to the Ground. And I'm going, oh my goodness, the church burned to the ground. Well, <clears throat> it's impossible. Well, it's not impossible, I guess, but when a building burns to the ground, that's not the same as a church burning to the ground. A church is not a place. A church is people. The church is the assembly of God. So when we gather here in Fountain View Recreation Center, we gather, this is church this building doesn't transform to something without, you know, a steeple doesn't come out of it on Sunday morning. But when we gather here together as a church, this is church. Church is assembly. It's a meeting. In Ephesians 2 and verse 19, we're told this, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints 
and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The church is something that grows. The church is something that grows, not because we add a couple of bricks and some mortar to the outside of the building. The church grows because we welcome new people in here from the kingdom of Satan. We bring them in. We, we see their lives transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. That's how the church grows. And we're always looking to grow the church. That's why we do baptisms. If you're wondering why we do baptisms, baptism is a moment for us to celebrate the growing church. We are a local assembly, a local church that is looking to grow. Have people join us. That's why in the Bible it always talks about, it says God dwells in the midst of his people or in the midst of the praises of his people. That's why we sing on Sunday morning. It's because this is where we see God present when we gather. And when we leave, the church leaves. The church comes, the church leaves, the church grows. It's a living organism made up of people. And that's why it's called family. In fact, we're called the family of God, the household of God. This is actually oikos is in the Greek. It means a family establishment. You do get a membership card when you join the church. Now you don't get a literal membership card. We don't give you something that says, I belong to Village Church East. No, we should do that, shouldn't we? But we have membership here because we want to make sure that we understand when you join, a par, uh, when you join Village Church East, you become a part of what we do. You value what we value. You grow as we grow. You sacrifice as we sacrifice. And so this church becomes more and more like a family. My, my kids have Jarvis blood throwing, flowing through their veins. And they're going to get married someday, and they may change their last name, but they're still going to have Jarvis blood. Sorry about that. You still have Jarvis blood flowing through your veins. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have spiritual blood of Jesus Christ flowing through your spiritual veins. That's why Jesus says it's a new birth. You are born again into God's family. And when that happens, when you make your decision to give your life to Jesus Christ, you literally are made new with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we do communion. It's a celebration that this blood makes us family. And God is our Father. In John 3.16, you know this verse, right? John 3.16 is so popular, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know that one, right? Well, in John 3, just 10 verses before that, verse 6, Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born into the family of Jesus Christ. Your membership card is that Jesus' blood covers your sins and courses through your veins. And spiritually, you are part of His family. It doesn't mean that you're no longer part, like my kids are no longer part of the Jarvis family. It just means that they belong to the Jarvis family and uh, physically and spiritually they belong to the family of God. We get a new family. Romans 12, 4 says, in one body we have many members in the me uh, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In other words, there are all kinds of different people in this church. And it exists around the world and exists throughout time. And the church will never leave until 
all hell breaks loose in the revelation in the end times. And then there's going to be a bad situation. <coughs> but in this church, in this family, there's support, there's fellowship, there's accountability, there are benefits shared with all, there's purpose. And that's why the, the, one of the main values of Village Church East is that we are a family. We see ourselves as a family. We are the four friends. It's more than just well wishes. We sacrifice. We go beyond. We think outside the box. We even risk our own reputation for the sake of those we love. We are a family church. There are two parts of this. If you read this online, there are two parts of this concept. Village Church is a loyal family. At Village Church, we are a spiritual family made up of biological families and singles. Families provide a shared home, loving culture, compelling values, and life-giving identity worth fighting for. Under Jesus, we are a spiritual family, loyal to Jesus and one another, and yet ever aware of our own imperfections. We fight to be a Jesus-centered family with a shared identity that is worth defending and loving despite shortcomings. And so the phrases that go with this is, village church is my family, community, and ministry, and village church is my home. We are a loyal family, but we are also an authentic family. Here's what you'll read online. At Village Church, we understand living transparently, transparently is not natural and takes time for most people to achieve. Our hope is that the safety of our community and culture will help newer families and leaders move toward greater levels of authenticity. Despite our life failures and sin struggles, Village Church does not have a spirit of condemnation or surprise at struggle. But we personally identify having unique and challenging struggles of our own. We're in this together. So I had a phrase to go along with this is, Village Church has no room for fluff or gimmicks. And Village Church, I am your brother before I am your pastor. I love this part of our church because it's a reminder to me that you don't have anybody over you that you're constantly having to prove something to. Church, I am your brother before I am your pastor. I am your pastor because this is the gift that God has given to me to use. But I am your brother first because we belong to Jesus Christ together. And that's why when we do communion, I always stand down there on the ground because it's a visual that I need you to see so that you understand we're all in this together. You have shortcomings, so do I. You have faults, so do I. So do all the elders. You should see these guys' faults. It's on a regular basis I'm talking to them. We're all in this together. We are family, we are brothers before we are pastors. And we are brothers before anything else. I find this interesting. I cannot name one friend of the paralytic. Not one. And yet it was their faith that brought that paralytic to Jesus. Their faith could be seen in what was demonstrated. That's why when Jesus saw their faith, church, think about it. How did Jesus see their faith? The only way Jesus could see their faith is they went above and beyond. They believed so much that Jesus was who he said he was that they were willing to risk everything in their own circles to see their friend changed. Jesus said it this way. 
John 13, 35, by this will all people know that you are my disciples. What does it say, church? If you what? Have love one for the other. This is a love that go, drives to action. A love that goes above and beyond. They will know because they will see, like everyone in this room saw the love these four guys had for this paralytic. They will know we are Christians, church, by the love we show. It's not enough to send an Instagram once in a while or a little good luck card. or a, I mean, all those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But real love goes the extra mile. Let's be a church where faith can be seen in the way that we treat, sacrifice for, and love one another. This is not our family. This is God's family. And God loves us with a radical and visible demonstration of devotion. In fact, Jesus said, greater love has no man than he would lay down his life for his friend. That's the kind of love we want people to see here. It's going to cost you something. It's going it's it's to hurt a little bit. You might have to put your own reputation on the line, your own finances on the line. Can you imagine these guys, if they had to lower this sucker down, this, this, this mat down, and this guy lands in front of Jesus and nothing had happened, they would have, they would have, been, they, they would have had to put their money together and pool to buy a new, a new roof for Sam down the street. Jimmy's house down the street. God loves us with this radical love, and we want everybody who walks in this door to know that we love them with the same kind of love. This church is God's family. This church is your family. This is one of our primary values. And church, I love our church. We haven't arrived yet, but let's stay on the right trajectory. Everyone has a family here, and you have a family here too. Lord, I'm grateful for the morning. I'm grateful for the fact that <coughs> you teach us what it means <coughs> to sacrifice, to treat like family. Thank you, Father, that you invite us into your family, regardless of where we've been or what we've done, regardless of how we've dropped the ball, regardless of our attitudes and the stuff in our lives that we wish weren't there. We know that if anyone comes to you and calls out to you, that you will not, not reject him or her. You will accept us. And then you'll go to work and change us to become more of an image of your son. So Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as their Savior, doesn't understand fully this concept of what it means to be a part of a family of God, that you would speak to them this morning, that you would teach them, Father, maybe something new or remind them of something that they've forgotten, that you literally are spiritual father to us and we literally are children to you. I thank you for what it took to bring us to that place, the death of your son on the cross. And I thank you that his blood forgives us of all our sins and makes us family, household of God. Bless us as we go into communion, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.